Karma Show. I'm your host, Nolan, and today my guest is Claudia Glover, who is an undergraduate communication studies major at Eastern University and raises the dogs. She's pursuing a career in marketing and social media communication and creating a website process to promote that. And she will be starting her own podcast and blog called Claudia's Communication Corner, which will happen in a few months. Like that. So, Claudia, welcome to the show. I'm glad you're here. Thank you for having me. Sure, sure. So, obviously, I, I love to get to get into what you're doing with raising CI animals because that's something that I know little about. And I think they definitely do a huge service. I'm sure you know as well. So, the mission statement that I found is that seeing eye dogs enhance the independence, dignity, and self-confidence of people who are blind through the use of specifically trained seeing eye dogs. Mm-hmm. So looking at that, people are like, wow, that's that's a lot of a lot of vocabulary to cover there. But yeah. how do you from what from your experience of raising seeing eye dogs, how do you see them benefiting society and helping people out that need um, the service? Yeah, definitely. Um, so the seeing eye is um, in Morristown, New Jersey. It is actually the oldest guide dog school in the nation. Um, there are others scattered throughout the United States, and obviously there's some Canadian ones and some in Europe as well. Um, but yeah, so they have um, a puppy raising program, which is what I am a part of. Uh, so my job as a puppy raiser is I receive a cute little fluffy tiny dog um, at seven weeks old, um, and I have them for a little over a year. My job is to um, give them exposure and uh, obedience training. So very simple. Um, So my job is just taking them places and getting them used to different environments and surfaces. And then um, I teach them uh, simple commands like sit uh, down and rest um, and uh, to use the bathroom on command as well. And uh, once we have them for a little over a year, they go back to the seeing eye in Morristown, New Jersey, uh, and they are trained for a duration of about four months with, um, they're assigned to a trainer and they um, form a bond with them and uh, they learn the specific commands of uh, such as right and left and forward, things like that. Um, And once that uh, four month training is up, Um, Most dogs are ready to be matched with a visually impaired person um, where they, um, the students, um, the people who are blind actually come and stay at the seeing eye for about three weeks and bond with their dog, um, whether it's their first dog or they're returning for a new dog. Um, So they spend a lot of time bonding with the dog and um, then they're ready to go home and take the dog home. But yeah, so um, yeah, independence and dignity, that is definitely the uh, part of that slogan for for the seeing eye um, specifically um, there are you know obviously other types of service animals um, obviously I'm more familiar with seeing eye dogs the most but um, they definitely benefit um, the community of uh, people who are visually impaired um, giving them that freedom um, that they don't have when they don't have a dog so for instance um, People who don't have seeing eye dogs or don't have a guide dog um, often will use a cane. Um, The thing about a cane is that it will detect obstacles and then 
avoid them, right? So they, they slide it back and forth. So they see um, a lamppost or a trash can, they know to go around it. With a guide dog, the, they just go around it, right? Because they can see the obstacles and it's not looking for obstacles, it's just avoiding them um, straight on. And um, they can walk a lot faster, they can walk without um, having to rely on another person. Um, to guide them around. Um, and so it, it really does offer them a ton of freedom and to be able to live um, a normal life and to, um, you know, do the things that they wouldn't be able to do um, without it. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a great explanation. Um, <laughs> so I'm curious because I see a lot of confusion, or at least some people may ex make up excuses, for example, for something called an ESA, which is an emotional support animal. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so I see that around campus and I see people that are, you know, obviously they're not blind. They can see right. just, from, just from looking at them. They seem like they're, you know, put together well and, you know, all that. So I'm curious mm -hmm. why, first of all, can you explain the key distinction between those two? Because obviously service um, seeing eye animals must have much more training to, you know, for guiding blind people. So what is the role of an ESA and how, what's the most... What do you think is the biggest misconception between those two uh, types of dogs? Right. right. Yeah, uh, it's a very good question. Um, there are kind of three categories when it comes to animals. Um, um, when it comes to animals helping people, right? Um, so um, there are therapy dogs or therapy animals. Um, there are emotional support animals and there are service animals. These three categories are completely distinct. Um, they, I would argue that they do not overlap <laughs> at all. <laughs> um, and they are, like I said, they're just completely different. Um, I even have um, a sticker on my water bottle. Um, you know how much I love stickers. And <laughs> it has um, a, a simple definition um, of a service dog. And the main idea is that you must have a disability in order to have a service animal. So it says, a dog that has been individually trained to do work or perform tasks for an individual with a disability, the tasks performed by the dog must be directly related to the person's disability. And then it says to, um, to not just a pet in a service dog vest. Um, so the ADA, the American with Disabilities Act, gives a very clear description of what a disability is. And I can read that for you. Um, it says, definition of being disabled is one who has a physical or mental impairment that substantially limits one or more major life activities. Or a person who is perceived by others as having such an impairment. Um, some of examples of these um, major life activities would be seeing, um, like seeing eye dogs um, help with that, uh, hearing, walking, breathing, um, communicating, or working. Um, because the disabled lack the ability to perform one or more of these examples, the law permits them to acquire particular aids um, to assist them. And the aid of having a service dog is covered by the ADA. Now, anxiety is not a disability. Um, and a lot of people use anxiety as a um, kind of a gateway uh, or a loophole. Mm. 
comes to acquiring a service dog. And I also would like to preface that anxiety is a serious issue. I have someone who has greatly suffered from both anxiety and depression um, and uh, has sought correct help for it um, and have you know done the work to, um, to, help, to heal from that. And obviously I still struggle with it. Um, I always will uh, to some degree. Um, so it's, I'm not devaluing um, the importance of anxiety because mental health is uh, something that is very uh, crucial to um, take care of your mind um, as well as your body. Um, so I do want to say that as well. However, it is not a disability. Um, however, uh, say, with saying that, PTSD is considered a disability. Um, that is listed specifically under the ADA. Um, and I can um, send Millen actually some links for you um, that you can click on if you would like to read more um, about kind of what the, the law says um, under the American with Disabilities Act. Um, so PTSD is considered a disability. So if you're a veteran who is suffering from PTSD or you've undergone um, some trauma, um, that is considered a disability um, under the ADA. Um, an emotional support animal by definition is a pet. And a service animal, by, by definition, is not a pet. Um, so that's also something that a lot of people just don't know. Um, so you walking into a store um, with your pet or with your emotional support animal is not, um, is not okay. Um, in fact, it is actually detrimental to people in the disabled community. Um, and I can expand on that a little bit more. Um, yeah, for sure. I, I just want to get, I want to ask that question for sure. Like, why do you, well, what, do you have an opinion on why it's detrimental or like any information to describe that? Because that'd be very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So it actually can um, be very uh, detrimental in two different ways. Um, I will speak on how it indirectly um, hurts. Um, those with disabilities um, who have legitimate service animals and how it um, directly um, uh, hurts them. So I'll, I'll start with um, how it hurts directly. Um, you can actually find, I, I uh, follow, you know, a lot of puppy raisers who share uh, stories and things like that in articles. So I've read quite a bit. Um, there was a woman with um, a German Shepherd a guide dog um, that she had for many years. Um, and something I, a uh, side note, it takes thousands and thousands of dollars to train a singular legitimate service animal. Um, it takes a lot of time and a lot of money. And um, the CNI actually benefits from many donors, many, many generous donors um, that actually allows them to function as a nonprofit organization. Um, so that's something to add as well. <laughs> um, it's very costly. <laughs> and so this woman, so back to the story, um, this woman um, had a guide dog. She was just in a grocery store getting her groceries she does on a normal day. Someone came in with their um, pet um, with a service dog vest um, on their dog. The dog was clearly misbehaving. Um, a legitimate service animal has been specifically trained not to misbehave. 
Um, so you know off the bat if the dog is misbehaving, it's not a legitimate service animal. Um, the dog was misbehaving and the dog actually was aggressive and bit the dog, the uh, guide dog in the grocery store. Wow. Um, and the, the poor woman was so caught off guard. She's blind. She didn't know what was happening. She was, felt very unsafe. Um, and her dog was hurt badly, needed surgery, may, maybe needed surgery. I'm, I, uh, don't, I'm not positive about that detail. Um, but I know that that dog was unable to work because it now had a fear of other dogs. Um, wow. Okay. Fear uh, of guiding, um, which, which is awful. And so that woman had now lost that key tool to her freedom because that person brought in, you know, a dog that wasn't legitimate and was aggressive. However, you know, you might say, oh, well, my sweet baby dog doesn't bite, you know, it loves kids. And, you know, that's great. That's fine. But if you, you know, bring your dog into public and try to pass it off as a service animal, um, a lot of businesses are now doubting every single animal that they see come on their premises, right? Because um, for HIPAA, right, you can't ask someone about their medical, you know, history unless you're a physician, right? So you can't, just go and be like, oh, what's your disability, right? That, first of all, that's rude. You don't want to say that to someone, right? But you um, also, like, legally can't ask someone that, right? It's not only rude, but it's illegal. <laughs> mm -hmm. So um, businesses and, and, and corporations are, are having a really tough time with this, right? They're like, well, it's clearly not a service animal, but I can't ask them, like, why they have the dog and, like, that kind of thing. Um, and so that's why the, the American with Disabilities Act, Act Act actually created um, specific questions that are legally you are allowed to ask. Um, and I'll get to those in a few minutes here, but I wanted to go back to kind of the, in, the, the direct um, and indirect way. So, um, you know, your, your pet um, is obviously unpredictable um, if it's not specifically trained for a disability. So you never know what it could do directly to a service animal in public. Um, it could also be a distraction um, to service animals. Um, and so going to transitioning to the indirect, which I touched on a little bit, um, these businesses are now doubting, right? They're, they're questioning these dogs that come into um, their campuses. They're saying, well, you know, is it a service dog? Well, I can't ask. You know, like, what do I do now? And so then they end up turning away or telling service, telling a legitimate service animal that they can't come, you know, into their store or something like that, which is also illegal. <laughs> and you can't do that either. <laughs> so right. they're caught in this kind of double bind. They don't know, you know, how to function. And, uh, and what happens is they either give up and they allow anybody to bring in their dogs in the store and they cause a disruption in a scene or they get in trouble for turning away all dogs, including legitimate service animals. And then the police have to get involved because they have to clarify with them. So I think the key is to bring this awareness of what the, what the American Disabilities Act says and so that they know specific questions that they can ask. Let me see if I can find them. And one of them is, um, you can ask what the dog um, has been specifically trained to do, right? So you're not asking 
um, what is your disability, but you can say, hey, um, it, you know, you can just strike up a conversation with someone, be like, hey, what specific tasks has your dog um, been trained to do? Um, and if their answer is not viable, it's, it's not, um, you know, according <laughs> to what we've, what we've been talking about, um, then you can tell them, you can ask them to believe. Well, you know, if you say, well, my dog can uh, go fetch a ball and bring it back to me, that's obviously <laughs> <Somebody not. does laughs> uh, my dogs do that, <laughs> but right. uh, not, um, that's not like a spe specifically trained task. So um, a correct answer or a legitimate answer would be, oh, you know, I'm in a wheelchair and this is my dog and, and my dog um, actually will pick up my keys if I drop them. Um, it will open doors for me if I can't open them on my own um, and that kind of thing. If the person says, oh, they provide me comfort. That's not legitimate, <laughs> right? I mean, my dogs bring me comfort, but I'm not going to, you know, bring them, bring my pet out into public. So, yeah, that's not, I, I, I can't seem to, I know there's a second um, question that you can ask, which I can definitely link um, to, this, uh, to this episode. Um, okay. But, so that's kind of, um, kind of an overview of those different things. And then also, like, therapy dogs um, are kind of, are associated with a, um, like an organization. Uh, can I ask one question real quick yeah. regarding the yeah. American Disability Act? So do you believe, I want to hear your perspective on it. Do you think okay. that covers, is there loopholes in that specific law? Or do you think there can be more, is there more to be done to make it easier for service dogs to have their accessibility into stores and businesses and for pets to not have that ability? Right. Um, so the ADA has been created to try and help that. Um, though um, I think the the problem here is that people don't know what it says, um, and including businesses who have power, right? Who have power to ask that specific question that I mentioned? What specific tasks has your dog been trained to do? Because not only um, do you have to have a disability to have a service animal, but your service animal has to be specifically tailored to that disability so mm. I, I if i'm a blind person i can't come and say oh this is my this is my service animal and the dog is you know tugging me or what every which way and jumping on the table at starbucks like that's not that's not a legitimate service animal either right, of um, course but yeah so for me it's de i would definitely say it's the awareness it's the um it's the knowledge of, of knowing um, what the difference is, is, is educating um, business owners and educating um, pet owners and service uh, dog owners as well. I'm just saying like, this is this service animal, this is not. And this is appropriate to bring, you know, your dog somewhere. Like if it's, if a store is pet friendly, go ahead, bring your dog. I know Target and Marshalls are both like, dog friendly stores so that is obviously an exception but if you know it's not clearly stated don't bring your pet you know your pet can wait for you at home it's not gonna be the end of the world <laughs> yeah that's interesting because i feel like a lot of 
at least from my perspective, I feel like a lot of people may be afraid to ask an offensive question or something like that. So I think that's where the education comes into comes into exactly. effect. Help for sure. So yeah. you were heading. You were going to talk about therapy dogs and that those. So what makes them different from service dogs and uh, the other dog you mentioned? I think I think you just talked about service dogs, right? Animals. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what's the difference for that between yeah. therapy dogs and those two? Yeah, so um, I guess, so I would go as far as to argue that um, therapy dogs are actually even more trained than emotional support animals because I really haven't ever met an emotional support animal who's been trained at all. <laughs> um, therapy dogs, so I actually have my pet, uh, I have a five-year-old German Shepherd named Brooke, and she is a certified therapy dog. So that means um, she's been, she's passed a test that she had to, it's like basic like obedience commands and then also like being able to ignore like crumbs on the ground um, or pills or something like that. Um, and then um, it's through an organization called Pause for People. Um, and so then um, we can go um, on scheduled outings with Brooke to specific locations that's affiliated with the organization Pause for People. So, for example, there's um, a place near to my house called Easter Seals, and it's a, a facility for um, adults with special needs. Um, it's kind of like a daycare program for them um, so that their families um, don't have to spend full time um, being their caretaker. They can kind of uh, spend time with people who are um, who are like specifically trained to um, to help out uh, adults with special needs. Um, and it's, oh, it's so fun to be there, too. Um, I've volunteered there before. Uh, and so Brooke, um, we'll bring Brooke there sometimes, and she'll play around with uh, some of the residents there. Um, and um, she can also go to nursing homes and other things like that, book readings for kids, um, and that kind of thing. So that's that's what a therapy dog is. So they, they have scheduled visits and meetings and things like that. Um, and then, um, you know, emotional support animals are just kind of um, pets inside your home that give you comfort. Um, and in times of maybe anxiety um, or depression, or if you're going through a hard season of life, um, you know, there have been many studies that show that, show that you know, having an animal or like a cat or a dog, um, just having that, like that living thing near you can actually lift your spirits up um, and raise your mood. And I'm sure the limbic system um, communicates a lot with um, your interactions with, um, with, with your pet and that kind of thing, which is great. Just, uh, you know, obviously that's for the inside of the home. Yeah. Sure, yeah. So obviously I've seen, I'm sure you've seen too, like emotional support animals at colleges, mm -hmm. uh, Eastern also. Uh, so how do you think, do you think having these animals in college is like a necessary thing for college students or is it more of an excuse kind of typically to have a pet on campus? Right. You, what's your belief on that? Um, so I definitely would um, go uh, on kind of both sides of that. Um, I, I seriously do have a problem with people who... Um, will fake a disability. Um, obviously, that's the extreme, but if you're faking anxiety so that you can have a pet in your dorm, that's obviously 
um, just not okay. <laughs> um, it's, you know, you're, you're devaluing um, the idea of mental health and people who truly suffer from it. Um, personally, um, I think I might have more stress <laughs> if I had an animal in my dorm room, uh, but that's just me. Obviously, for someone else, it might be a good thing as like kind of a distraction, that kind of thing. But um, obviously, it's the if you have an emotional support animal in your dorm room, um, it's meant to stay in your dorm room. Obviously, if you if you have a dog or something that needs to go to the bathroom, obviously you want to take it out when it needs to. But um, supposed to be, it's supposed to stay there. Um, it's not a service animal, um, and unless you know it's it's a service animal and that kind of thing. But if you have a service animal on campus because you have a disability, say you have PTSD from trauma or say you're visually impaired, or you're residing in a wheelchair. Um, obviously, I know um, there was a seeing eye dog that lived at Eastern um, a couple years before um, my freshman year. Um, that's great. Also, it's something to know, uh, another great distinction is uh, a service animal is never to be pet um, by anyone except the handler. Um, and I have seen people who have their service animals on campus or other places, and they're allowing people to pet that dog. That is not okay at all. A legitimate service animal is never to be touched while on duty, um, while being handled by the, um, the handler. So I, the only, you know, way that they can be pet is when they're off duty. So for seeing eye dogs, I know, like, once they're in harness, they're focused um, and they are looking to do their job. Once the harness is off, it's uh, a lot of times these, it's like they have two personalities. They're like working dog and then playful dog. You know, the dogs, once you take off the harness, they're, you know, getting into trouble in the house and they're, you know, getting into the trash or something like that. I've heard stories of that, but, um, and obviously you can play with a dog that's been deharnessed, if that makes sense. Um, but when it comes to like being on campus, like you should not be in class um, with your service animal and letting people pet it because you are then communicating that it's not a legitimate service animal, in my opinion. Um, so, yeah, uh, definitely. I think it's important to know the distinction, to know where your animal, like which category your animal falls into um, and knowing the boundaries that you have. Um, within that. Yeah, that's a great point. I never, I never knew the rule about the petting. That's really interesting because I always, I've seen, and, and I'm not guilty of it, but I've seen like some people, my family, like my aunts and my grandmother might be like, oh, like a, walking on the trail and just like see a dog. Like, oh, what dog is it? They just go and pet it without, you know, asking a lot of times. So I can see why that's a very like a dangerous thing to do. Yeah, it is. And um, at, when I'm raising the seeing eye puppies, um, because, um, so they do a vest. It's a, it's a green vest that says the seeing eye puppy raising program. Um, so I don't have, um, so right now I have Imelda. She's a, a nine, 10 month old German shepherd. And so, you know, obviously I'm doing the obedience training. I'm taking her on outings and things like that, getting her used to different areas. Um, and so also she has boundaries herself as well. So she is not a fully fledged service animal. Yes, she's going to be one day, but she's not serving me. So she is allowed to be pet by people. And in fact, the seeing eye actually encourages that when they're in the puppy raising stage. 
Um, but um, so if, if a business asks me to leave with Imelda, I have to because she's not a service animal. Though most businesses are very welcoming to dogs that are in training to be service animals. Um, so that's also like an in-between kind of stage uh, for, for puppies who are being raised for, um, you know, for to be service animals one day, but they're not, they're not there yet. Um, but yeah. Okay. So when you, you said you had a dog named, you have a dog named Brooke, who's a therapy mm -hmm. dog, right? Yes. So did did you get the dog when it was already trained or did you train, or not you personally, but maybe like you got that dog training after you, you got the pet, after you got Brooke? Mm -hmm. Like how did that work out? Yeah, so most people who, um, who have certified therapy dogs, it's their pet um, that they have done the little bit of extra training so that they can pass the, the, exam, the little exam that they have to do. Um, and so in our case, Brooke was um, actually in the Seeing Eye Puppy Raising Program. She was actually the first dog that I raised. Um, she unfortunately has severe allergies and was itching like a maniac. Um, and she um, was released from the Seeing Eye program and was not put into training and was not matched with the trainer. Um, so when that happens, they call it a career change. Um, and they um, actually will offer the dog back to the puppy raising family um, before um, either adopting them out um, to someone who's waited like two years to adopt the Seeing Eye dropout, <laughs> or um, they'll actually um, sometimes send dogs to other um, organizations and do a different service such as um, drug sniffing or bomb sniffing or police work or um, a different you know service dog organization that kind of thing um so in brooke's case we decided to adopt her um so she's our forever pet um and i call her the assistant puppy raiser as well because obviously she plays with all our new puppies and that kind of thing um and so uh, my mom and i decided that uh to get her a therapy dog certified so that she can do some some kind of work in that kind of thing. Okay. It's interesting that I'm curious to know how you started um, doing this. I, 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 obviously, it's like a, I'm assuming it's like a part-time job because you're in <laughs> college now. So yeah. I've seen that, or I would at least assume that a lot of people that do this as a part-time would maybe try to be like a veterinarian or go into a field with that is more oriented toward animals. Yeah. So I, I'm not saying you won't do that, but at least you, that's not your path right now. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm curious, what's the reason you got into that and, and um, what drove you to do that, basically? Yeah. yeah, that is a great, great question. Um, I actually did grow up wanting to be a vet for the longest time. Um, I even entered high school wanting to pursue um, veterinary school, and um, I just have loved animals um, my whole life. Um, and then my mom actually came and kindly told me, she's like, you know, I don't know if you want to be in school for that long. So my mom's a physician, she's a doctor and she, um, you know, obviously she's been through undergrad and medical school and residency and all the things. And actually being a veterinarian is even longer than that. <laughs> You're even oh, in school. I not know that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's crazy. Um, and and that's mainly because we're one species, right? Humans, we're humans, we're not anything else. When you're a veterinarian, you're doing like tons of different types of animals. So obviously the schooling is going to be a lot longer. Um, but so um, my mom was like, you know, I, I really think you're not going to love it. 
Um, and she's like, I trust me, I know you. And, um, you know, I, for most people, they would, you know, take that, you know, and be crushed and that kind of thing. But I really took her words of advice. And you're like, you know, you have a point. My mom said, you, you're such, you're so great with people um, and you love communicating with others. I think you should um, look into this communication major I found. <laughs> um, and at that point, I was looking for schools and um, what I wanted to major in. This is like freshman, sophomore year of high school. And um, so I looked into that major and I said, you know, this really looks like it's up my alley. Um, so that's when I decided I wanted to be a communication major. And um, obviously I've not looked back since. Um, anyone who knows me knows I am obsessed with the material that I'm learning in school and in college. Um, it is fascinating to me and it's so interesting and so fun to learn about. Um, so yeah, my mom said, you know, like we need to find something for you to do that bridges kind of both of those things. Like maybe, like, like you're not gonna pursue being a veterinarian, but let's find something that bridges, you know, love for animals and love for people. And so my mom did her golden fashion Googling and she uh, came across um, the CNI, um, very reputable organization. Um, and they had a puppy raising club that was actually very close to our um, area. And so my mom said, well, looks like they have a, a club meeting. They have monthly meetings um that's coming up let's go let's meet some people and see what it's like and i have to tell you it was love at first sight i got there and um i met these um dogs i met the uh, these puppy raisers and i learned more about what puppy raising was i grabbed an application <laughs> i filled it out and i returned it the next month and i got brooke my first uh seeing eye puppy um german shepherd uh, August 31st, 31st uh, 2015 or 14. No, 15. Yeah, 15. <laughs> um, and so, um, yeah, and so that's how that's how it all started, actually. Um, and so I think I'll be, as long as I'm in this area, I'll be puppy raising for the rest of my days. I know that for sure. Um, it is seriously one of the most fascinating, most rewarding um, things to do. Um, I uh, love the the spiritual symbolism that it actually comes to. Um, you know, as a as a Christian, um, I truly believe that we are born to serve the Lord, um, and we are to um, bring glory to Him. Um, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever, right? And so, um, these dogs are bred to serve someone one day. And that is their life's purpose. That is their life's goal. And nothing could be more inspiring than seeing this little puppy who you know is going to help someone and transform their life one day. Um, so it's not only so fun and a lot of work. <laughs> Let me tell you, the first few nights of having a puppy is um, a lot of lack of sleep, <laughs> is all I have to say. Um, them screaming in your face. Um, but you know, not only is it fun, um, but it's also um, just a great symbolism um, to see that and to to um, kind of interact with them over the course of the year that you have them. And then also being able to see them guide their trainer throughout Morristown um, after they've been trained for four months, which I've been able to do twice, which is really fun. Great. So yeah. you mentioned the symbolism. I'm very curious to know, because obviously it sounds very simple when you Put it in those words like you know 
animals meaning to serve someone, which I think a lot of people wouldn't really consider that, like, from first glance, like, oh, they're just like a pet. Um, so when you realize that, realize that, did you maybe look like when you were researching doing this, um, is that how you found that symbolism or did you kind of just come out, come out of that on your own and you're kind of like thought to yourself like a revelation, like, oh, wow, like this, I feel like I'm glorifying God in this sort of way or something like that. Like, how would you, how would you see yourself in that aspect? Yeah, it definitely um, came a little bit later um, after I had Brooke for a few months, and I uh, definitely was a little bit of a self-revelation. I was um, just starting high school when I got Brooke, um, and I was still going to um, a youth group, um, and I remember just chatting with some people and talking about um, talking about how like that that made an impact. Um, on me, that kind of self-revelation, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, it was definitely something that the Lord uh, kind of laid on my heart uh, a few months into uh, first receiving Brooke, for sure. Great. And I'm curious, you mentioned the seeing eye dog organization. Uh, so mm -hmm. where would people, where do you think is the best place for people to to look for um, online or any organization out to like start this if they were interested in this? Yeah. So if you are if you are a, someone who is visually impaired and are looking for um, a guide dog organization, I can't recommend the Seeing Eye highly enough. They are very reputable and they are very organized. Um, and uh, you can actually go to the SeeingEye.org and you can apply um, to have a Seeing Eye dog. Um, if you are um, someone who wants to raise a Seeing Eye dog. Also, go to that website, um, theseeingeye.org, and you um, click on the tab that says Puppies and Dogs, and then you can um, look at the Puppy Raising Program. You will see a list of different counties and areas, um, and then there's an area coordinator who um, is the person assigned to a group of counties and, and puppy clubs, um, and whichever area your residence you know, falls under, um, that's closest to you contact that um, area coordinator and they can kind of get you set up and give you the location of the club meeting so that you can get to know some of the people in your community who are puppy racers. Um, and then once you attend a meeting, you can apply um, to be a puppy raiser. And um, once you fill out your application, you come back the next month and you turn it in and um, all you and then you do some puppy sitting. Um, <clears throat> one of the greatest things <laughs> about being puppy raiser is that if you go out of town and you can't bring your puppy um, there is always someone to watch your dog <laughs> the club always has someone who's available so you just send out an email being like hey who can watch my dog and there's always someone who can take it um, so you don't have to um, well, you're, you're not allowed to bring them to kennels or anything like that but you don't have to worry about paying someone or you know give you know putting it up and boarding and that kind of thing there's always someone available to watch your dog um, so there's people in the community, or excuse me, in the club um, who um, support you, who give you pointers um, and help you with training. Um, if you have uh, a medical problem, obviously you will speak to your area coordinator and that kind of thing. Um, and uh, yeah, there, it's just very supportive um, and it's a really fun experience too. So, yay. Um, also, if you are interested in adopting 
a seeing eye dropout, um, say you're like, man, I really would like a nice pet. Um, I, I highly recommend adopting um, a seeing eye dropout because most of the time um, it's something small or minor, like, oh, they have squirrel distraction. <laughs> they can't be a guide dog. <laughs> mm. so, um, but I'm sure you can manage that, you know, right? Um, so you can actually uh, look on the website for more information on that as well. Um, but yeah, so there's various different ways you can get involved. You can also donate to the Seeing Eye as well. Um, if you happen to have loads of money, you can um, pay $5,000 to name a Seeing Eye puppy. Um, say you want to name it after someone um, that is near and dear to your heart or something like that um, to honor them. You can do that. A lot of people have done that. But yeah, so those are different ways you can get involved. Great. Well, I have to say, it's really cool that you were able to use your passion for animals in this much investment, using this much time and investment into this. Mm -hmm. And so pursue um, an interest like communication that's kind of different, you know, in the human communication world and social media world. Mm -hmm. So that's very, it's very good that you're able to do that, those two things. Because I think it's, it's always a good thing to expand your expand yourself and not being too, being too one-dimensional so i think it's really sure. very you're doing that yeah um, yeah and if um i'll put your instagram link here if you want to follow you follow you what you're doing um they can you know i'm sure you'd be willing to answer any question if they if they're willing to ask you can you also something. follow my dog too so um yeah. i have, have an instagram account for imelda and the the username changes when i get a new puppy uh, if that makes sense. So it's Imelda.TheSeeingEye, and you can kind of see how she, the adventures that we take her on and different things that she she does in her little puppy life with us. <laughs> All right, great. Yeah. Well, thank you, Claudia, for, for taking the time to, to discuss this. It's a very good discussion. Yeah. Yeah, have a great day. Thank you so much.